open your hearts to John Chris. God bless you, John. Love you, Dad. We don't need a video. It's all good. How are you guys? Good morning. You good? Yes. This is the spiritual crowd, right? That's what I'm told? Yes. You guys got a little bit more sleep than the rest of them that I saw this morning? You're looking healthy. You're looking good. Um, well, man, it's so, so good to be here this morning. What a cool Sunday to be able to come back to with uh, my, my younger sister getting uh, member-fied. What do you call it here? <laughs> Membership-fied? Okay. You're a member. You're, you're here. You're committed, Jenny. So seeing Jenny uh, become a member here of this family, this tribe, and then my older sister and brother-in-law like dedicating their kids, this is such a joy. Such a joy for me to be back and even just looking into the crowd and looking up at the choir, seeing familiar faces like my dad said. Six months old. I'm 31, guys. I'm getting old and decrepit. This is weird. <laughs> Falling apart. My body's hurting in weird places. It's strange, but I guess this is what happens, the joys of getting older. But 31 now um, in San Clemente, California. I was married two and a half years ago come on to the love of my life, and she's incredible, she's beautiful, her name's Taryn, she loves Jesus, she, she does ministry alongside us, she's the brains of the operation, I just kind of show up, she, she, she makes it happen, and so uh, we've been in San Clemente for, uh, I've been there for five years now at the Shoreline Church, and for the last year and a half we've had the privilege of leading a community of young adults really into what we believe God is calling us into in our city and in in our county because there really hadn't been a space created for young adults to connect to God and to one another and God gave us the vision uh, and, and the resources and the leaders to really launch this thing called Live Coast and I know a lot of people say God's working in amazing ways because he is he's always moving he's always working but it does seem as if he's doing something really cool and undeniable um, in Orange County in a place where people tend to worship comfort and pleasure and ease and good weather and all that kind of stuff. It seems as if this young generation says, you know what, all that stuff is fine, but I want something real. I want something real. I want something genuine. I want something that is going to take me through the tough times of life. And so uh, it's just been such a joy to be a part of God's story, God's movement, God's mission out there. It's not God's country like Metro Detroit, like my dad says, but it's close. It's pretty close. Um, well, I'm excited to share from God's Word with you guys this morning. I'm going to start in the book of James, and so if you have a Bible, you can turn to James chapter 1. We're going to have the verses on the big screen back here. If you have a phone app that says Bible, you can go to that. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, um, and so you can turn to that on your app as well. But uh, James chapter 1 is where we're going. That's our thought that we're going to be springing from today. Um, Thursday night, I took a red-eye flight from LAX airport in Los Angeles here. And Thursday night, I stood in line, and um, I titled this message a little bit after my experience. The title of my message as we jump into James chapter 1 is simply this, when troubles come your way. When troubles come your way. The reason why I titled this message uh, has everything to do with the fact that I flew on an airline known as Spirit Airlines. Anyone? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Can, can anyone relate to my experience? I really hope no one works for spirit or has a relative that works for spirit. But when troubles come your way, because in terms of my experience of, of flying with spirit airlines, it's not a matter of if troubles will come your way, if something won't work out, but when 
that doesn't work out the way that you expected. It, it, it was interesting. I've flown Spirit before. And of course, we all buy the plane tickets from Spirit Airlines because you go online, it's like hundreds of dollars cheaper, right? So you never remember that one experience that, okay, so, so you always remember that one experience where you had a great time flying Spirit Airlines. Everything was seamless. You got a great deal. It worked out. It was like your unicorn flight on Spirit Airlines. It was amazing. But then you always forget those million other experiences that you had. And so you buy that ticket again because you're like, maybe I'll get that other experience. And so I did. I stand in line and I found it interesting because as I'm standing in line on Thursday night, I'm waiting. I look at the, the uh, uh, tape. It's, it's like rope, but it's tape to make the lines. And you're always looking for that gap in the tape so you can cut other people and get to the desk faster, of course. But I'm, I'm looking at it and there's something written on the tape that's guiding us, and it says this. It says, welcome to Spirit Airlines. Your adventure begins now. Like, For real. Like, that's true. That's true. Your adventure does begin now. And it's an adventure, right? Every single time for me, it's been an adventure. So I go through line, it's fine. I go through security, fine. And I get there, I finally walk up to my gate. And of course, I walk up to my gate and I look at the screen. I'm supposed to leave at 10.30 at night for a red-eye flight to arrive at beautiful 6 a.m. in Metro D. And I look and it says 12.30 now. It's now been delayed two hours. And of course, the adventure began there. So the adventure begins, and one observation that I had was very interesting to me because I found it true that when you experience troubles or trials or situations in your life that don't go as you expected, people oftentimes will react differently. And so I kind of made a human observation. I looked around the seats of those that would be my fellow passengers, and I found different people reacting differently. I looked at one guy. He's on the phone, face is red, like a bead of sweat down his face, and he's just cussing out Spirit Airlines. I'm going somewhere else. I'm never flying Spirit Air. And I'm like, okay, all right, that's pretty crazy. I'm going to go sit over here. Um, And then I looked at these other people. When they saw the screen that said delayed two hours, they didn't even think about it. They immediately just walked to the airport bar. And they're like, all right, I'll figure this out some way, right? I'll escape. I'll escape this situation and forget about it. I found it interesting that that the same problem, the same trouble, the same trial can, can hit a same group of people, and yet we can react very differently to that thing. Very differently. And in James chapter 1, we're going to get into the topic here, a conversation that has to do with that very same idea. How do we face trials, troubles, circumstances that we don't like, that we wouldn't choose, that are uncomfortable, that are awkward, that wouldn't go our way? How do we face those things Because everything that God wants to do in our life will come from stuff that happens through our life. And God wants to raise up an army. He wants to raise up a generation, raise up his church that will face trials and difficulties and problems and situations so differently than the rest of the world that it will actually be a signpost to the world what it looks like to have hope in the midst of despair. To have joy in the midst of pain. 
to have a future that's in store for us that we may not see fully here yet, but that we will one day see in full and we're excited about and we're journeying through to get there. See, I truly believe that if we grab a hold of this topic, this idea, what it looks like to stay with God through our trials, through our suffering, through our pain, it will not only change our lives personally and not just this church communally, but it will change the world around us. And so I want to take you to James chapter 1, and we're just going to jump in. James says in verse 2, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, see, I think this is one of those verses. Have you ever read this verse before, by the way? Have you read this verse? I think this is one of those verses in the Bible where you read it, and it's one of those things where you read it and read the whole passage, and you just kind of breeze through it because, you know, you feel like you understand it, or at least you act like you understand it, and you say, oh yeah, that, that totally makes sense, because it has to make sense, because it's in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, it has to make sense, I have to just believe it, and it just, it just makes sense, it works out. But when you really read this verse, to me, it doesn't make sense. It, it, it's, not, it's not the way that I experience life. How about you? When you look back at your greatest moments of pain and discomfort and trials and troubles, when you look back, does it bring memories of joy? Does it bring this sense of, wow, that was the most joyous part of my life? I don't think so. I think you're probably more like me. Like, how do I experience joy? When I think of an opportunity to experience great joy, I think of unplugging from the world going off to a deserted island, no cell phone, no emails, no worries. I got a surfboard in one hand. I got an acai bowl in another. Bob Marley's playing in the background. No problems, right? Comfort, ease, relaxation, unplugging, unwinding, and ah, joy. And what James says here in this, this second verse as he begins this, this idea is he says, you're going to experience tough times. It's not, it's not if, it's a matter of when. And the, the early church that he's writing to is the first Christian community in that time. They're based in Jerusalem. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he came from being a non-believer, a full non-believer in Jesus, to now post-resurrection, he experiences the very real Jesus. And he goes from non-believer, not just a believer, but from non-believer to leader of the church. And he's a leader of the church, and he's writing to a church that is going through troubles and heartaches and hardships. They're being persecuted financially. Their families are being ripped apart because one person says, I love Jesus. And then you have other people in the family that says, that's not going to work for us. They're being excommunicated. They're being dispersed. They're being persecuted. And by the way, there's a widespread famine in the land. It's real. And maybe you're going through a real time in your life this morning. Maybe you're going through a trouble, heartache, a trial, something that you would rather not walk through, something that you would love. You would love to just walk out on, something that you would hate, hate, hate to choose for yourself. And James says, we all experience trials of many kinds. And it, it's not about comparing our trials with someone else's trial and saying, you know what, my trial is way worse than their trial because he says troubles are troubles are troubles. And we all face them. But it's how you perceive the trouble, it's how you think about the trouble that makes all the difference. 
A lot of times when we see this word joy, it doesn't make sense because a lot of times we think it means happy. And we confuse true joy with temporary happiness. Here's happiness, right? Happiness is when you get a new set of shoes, right? Online, that perfect set of shoes. It's brand new. You put them on. You're like, oh, aren't my shoes bling? And they're amazing. I love these shoes, right? That's happiness. Happiness is when your husband buys you flowers on a random day. It's happy. Happiness is when uh, the winter here in Michigan, it's like the last day of winter and spring is around the corner. And it's like 40 and you guys are crazy and you put shorts and like a tank on and you're like, it's summer in Michigan. It's like, it's happy. Yeah, it's amazing. Right? Happiness is when you watch the price is right and someone wins a blender and they act like they just like won salvation for all eternity. And they're like, yes. Right? That's, that's happiness. But here's the thing, right? Your shoes will, will fade, wear out. The flowers are going to die. The blender is going to break because it's temporary. It was never meant to eternally satisfy you. Happiness is temporary. God cares about your joy. God cares about your joy. Joy is eternal. Joy is never-ending. Joy is something that you get to experience and exude in the midst of anything. See, I think so many times we don't really take this joy conversation all that seriously, that we literally can live in the joy of the Lord at all times. Like, I think some Christians think like Christianity is kind of like when you've blown up a beach ball. Have you ever tried to blow up a beach ball? It's fully blown up and you try to hold it under pool water. Anyone ever done that? No, I'm the only weird one that's done that. Okay, so you blow up a beach ball and you try to hold it under pool water and you're struggling and you're like, ah, and you're trying to hold it under, underneath there, and someone's like, what's wrong with your face? And you're like, I'm a Christian, I'm trying. I'm trying, I'm doing my best. And I think a lot of people think the Christian life is just grinding through life. I'm just making it through. One day I'm going to be with Jesus. One day I'm going to experience joy. And what James says as he launches us into this conversation about troubles and trials and situations in your life that you would rather not endure, you would rather not go through. He says, you get to experience the fullness of the joy of the Lord in the midst of it. This word consider in the first verse is so critical to our understanding of joy and trials. Consider means to perceive or think. And so what James is saying, he's saying the very same people can go through the same trials. And by the way, just because you're a believer in Jesus doesn't protect you from troubles, doesn't protect you from trials. But what it does is it allows you to think about it differently and perceive it differently to actually become the kind of people that God has called us to be. See, Romans 12, 2 is so critical. It says, right, God wants to make us into new people. How? The way that God makes us into new people is by changing the way we think. The way that we think. See, your problem is not the problem. The way you perceive your problem is the problem. And your issue is not the issue. The way you think about the issue is your issue. And so this is, uh, yeah, you can clap. Let's all join in. It's fun. So in verse 3, like, Verse 3 gives us direction now. Jump into verse 3 with me. He says, okay, so here's, here, here's the stuff that happens now. When your faith is tested, why is it tested? It's tested because he says oh, something awful, something that we don't want to hear. He says, your faith is tested so that your endurance gets a chance to grow. 
Now, we act like we like that, but we really don't. The only people that like the word endurance are long-distance runners. Any long-distance runners in here, marathon people in here? Yeah, we all kind of despise you. We're guilty because we're not like you. You're amazing, and we, we can't put our bodies through the same stuff that you enjoy somehow putting your bodies through. You love this idea of endurance, building up endurance to achieve a goal. Yet here's, here's how we want this verse to read, right? We want it to say, for your faith is tested so that your comfort grows. We want it to say, God's going to test you with this really hard thing in your life so that once you get through that test, you never have to get tested again. I don't know about you. I want that. I don't want to get tested again. And yet, so many pastors I've heard have have said this truth that's really, really uncomfortable, and yet I, I think it's so true that God cares more about your character than your comfort. God cares way more about you becoming a person of integrity and character and wholeness and maturity than just your comfort, because this is temporary. This space is temporary. This life is short, and he cares about eternal things. And so, you know, testing. Who here likes tests? Anyone here likes tests? You can raise your hand. It's a safe, it's a safe space. We're in a church. We're not going to punish you. Do you. Anyone like tests? Who here hates tests? You despise it. Yes, thank you. All right, I can relate to you. I hate tests. And yet at the very same time, I know that if a teacher is a good teacher, he or she is going to give you tests because they care about your growth. They care about you learning. And I can remember going to college. And I was really looking forward to taking this youth ministry class because I heard about this professor that was amazing. And I was like, you got to take him for youth ministry. So I, I get in the class and I, I, I was so like excited to learn and to grow. And I wanted, I finally like made the decision to change my major to, to be a pastor. And I was so excited. And so I go in there and he's the kind of teacher that he would show up late to class. And then he would not only show up late to class, but he would be like, Hey, so, uh, you know, I didn't prepare anything today. What do you guys want to talk about? And everyone else is like, yeah, it's amazing. And, and, and then I thought, oh, my gosh, I pay, I pay th- oh, my parents paid thousands of dollars. <laughs> Probably should have told you that in the moment, but. Final exam comes around, and he's like, all right, here's your final. Everyone, let's walk out to the grassy area by the cafeteria. Everyone walks out. We go in a circle. And this literally, no joke honest to God, was our final exam. He called our name by, uh, you know, one by one, he called our name. And as he called your name, our instructions for our final exam was to go to the center of the circle, kind of like a dance circle, and to spin around in a circle until you got so dizzy that you fell on the ground. Once you fell on the ground, he said, you're passed. That was my class. Sorry, Dad. Learned a lot of great things, though. Learned a college was awesome for other reasons, but that's neither here nor there. Um, a good teacher will care enough about his or her students to test them, to challenge them, to push them. Another thing that a good teacher does is they stay silent during the test. They're not standing by the chalkboard writing out the answers or shouting out the answers. They stay silent during the test. And then another thing I've noticed is that you can't graduate to the next level or the next grade unless you pass the test. And here's our frustration with God. Here's our frustration is that God is such a good teacher, such a loving father, 
that he, he will never flunk his students. He'll never fail his students. And so what happens? We keep taking the same test over and over and over again, right? It's like God was dealing with us on a relationship issue. And we thought we learned, but then we keep going back to the same kind of person, the same kind of struggles, the same kind of selfishness, the same kind of stuff. And, you, know, you know, maybe it's finances. God's teaching us something on finances, but why do we find ourselves in the same boat with budgets and debt and, and all this kind of stuff? Maybe it's, uh, you know, a family situation with the way that we parent and we think things are going to go differently, but somehow we're getting the same, same test over and over again. See, I think so many of us are really called to be at like a graduate level with God, but we're taking elementary school tests. And we keep taking these tests and wondering, why isn't God showing up? Why does he seem so absent? Why does he seem so silent? What's happening with my life? When in essence, God is simply just a good teacher. God's a good teacher. And he's allowing you to see that although the test is tough, all it's doing is showing you that you need to trust him more. You need to trust the process. Because, you know, the process is what brings us to wholeness. What's the goal of endurance? What's the goal of getting through God's tests? What's the learning? What's the growing all about? Here's what it's all about. James gives us a little deal in verse 4 where he really defines for us the goal. The goal of endurance is simply this. He's like, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. A lot of times we read this verse and we, we say, okay, that sounds amazing, but when I see perfect and complete, that doesn't, that doesn't really mesh with my experience. Because when I see, okay, I've gone through trials, I've gone through tough times, I've gone through all these things, but it, do, it doesn't make me into a perfect person. I still sin. I still have some areas of brokenness. I still have some hang-ups that I would like to get rid of, but this is not what it's saying. What perfect and complete means is not God's goal is to make you a perfect person, which, by the way, if you're perfect in here, you're not allowed. Because church is for imperfect people. Church is for broken people. Church is for people that need grace, that need freedom, that need God. What he's saying is, I'm going to make you into whole people. The original word here doesn't mean perfect without fault or sin. It means wholeness. The gospel of Jesus Christ, more than anything, is about how a God has taken a broken people and made us whole. Yeah. Made us whole. Yeah. And so that's the journey. That's the destination that he's taking us on. I, I've been having this crazy neck pain, this shoulder pain going on in my, in my, uh, my upper shoulder neck area. And I, I've been so frustrated with it. And I've tried all these other fixes. And uh, I've tried, like, switching a position of, of, of my desk. I've tried getting a stand for my computer. I've tried workouts. I've gone to a chiropractor. I've gone to a, a physical therapist. I've tried everything, and nothing is really helping so far until I had a bit of an epiphany. And the epiphany was this. I found that it was aggravated more than any other time. My neck and my shoulders were aggravated more than any other time when I was on my computer. And I noticed as I've been on my computer, what I do is I look down at the keys. Because in middle school, we've all taken typing classes in middle school. And middle school, it all started. Everything starts in middle school, so be careful, guys, all right? Um, 
I cheated through my classes. My teacher said over and over again, the only rule in typing class is what? Never look down. Never look down at the keys. And so she would come on by, and I'd be like looking up, fake typing. And then as she would walk away, I would like take the paper over, and I'd just be like, you know, I got this little like two-finger peck type thing. I still have it. I'm really efficient with it. I actually am. It's weird. I'm like a really fast two-finger typer. Just a little factoid for you. Getting real. Um, and, and I've noticed 20 years later, 20 years later, because, because I didn't trust the teacher and I didn't trust the process, I'm now dealing with really bad shoulder and neck pain because I look down at the keys. And now, the only way to get healing, the only way to move forward, the only way to bring restoration is to now trust the process, to totally rethink my way through the process. It's so tough at 31 to do this now, to discipline myself, to do something that you could do easily in middle school. And yet, how many times in our life do we find ourselves in the same situations, the same circumstances, the same hang-ups, the same reactions? We haven't grown in 30 years because, potentially, we haven't trusted the teacher enough to trust his process. It's really interesting, this word that is for perseverance, for endurance, for steadfastness, that's the same word in a bunch of different translations for endurance. It simply means this. It means stay with it. Stay with it. Here's the thing. Here's what James is telling us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's saying anyone can start being a Jesus follower. Anyone can raise their hand. Anyone can pray a prayer. But will you stay with Jesus? Right? Anyone can start coming to a church, but it, 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 it means that you've got to be a real, real follower of Jesus to stay 30 years, 31 years, my dad said, he's been pastoring this church, 31 years to stay the course, to trust the process, to trust the teacher, to build the community. Anyone can stand at an altar next to the love of their life and be so infatuated and in love and all that kind of stuff and say, I do forever, I commit to it. But it takes a real man, it takes a real woman to say, I'm going to stay with it when the world says to write the papers, when the world says to bounce, when the world says it's not worth it, I'm going to stay with it. I think like the easiest response, the easiest response is to take the comfortable route in life, the shortcuts in life. The easiest response is to say, I'm going to give up, it's not worth it. And God wants to form a people that are so committed to trusting him and to trusting his process and to moving through trials and troubles with joy. Why? Not just for you to gain wholeness, but because your friends need Jesus. Because your family needs hope. Because everyone else is giving up. Everyone else is giving in. And how crazy would it be if you're the kind of person that people can look to at work and say, I don't understand how you can have this kind of joy, this kind of life, this kind of bounce in your step. You're going through something worse than I'm going through. How is it? That's how we become the people of Jesus. That's how we become the people of Jesus. It's true. Yeah. How do we get a vision for this? See, I, th I, I think the temptation here is to, is to succumb to our problems and our, 
our troubles and our situations and bounce early simply because we can't see what's on the other side. You know, like I thought about it. Anyone here like Wild West movies? All right. I was watching a Wild West movie a while ago, and I found, I found it interesting because every time you watch a Wild West movie, you'll notice that these people, for whatever reason, decided to settle in these nasty, dry, desolate, depressing areas. There's no water. Kids all have like dirt on their faces. Like, what are you doing here? You know, it's really interesting. I don't have any historical backing for anything I'm about to say. But I'm going to say it anyways. You know, I, I, I think it's kind of like if you've ever played that computer game Oregon Trail. You know, you're going from east to west. You're taking a journey, taking a journey from east to west. And these settlers are journeying together. They're moving together. But at some point, there must have been like a family conversation, right? Like maybe little Johnny had typhoid fever and he was going down. Um, maybe you saw a mountain ridge that looked like you couldn't go over it. Maybe you were just tired. And there was some family conversation that happened for whatever reason, and you just decided there's nothing on the other side. We can't keep going. We're not going to stay with it because this is good enough. And I found, I found it interesting as I'm watching those movies. Now, I know my dad says that Michigan's God country, and it is, of course. But if they would just stay with it, they would get to San Clemente, California, the ocean, <laughs> the surfing, the sea breeze. I, I, even jo I even joked with a friend about it. I, I think, like, so, wouldn't it be am amazingly sad if you got all the way to a city, if you're familiar with the city of Riverside, if you got all the way to a city uh, like the city of Riverside, it's an hour away from Orange County, from the beach, from the ocean, from true life. But it's an, uh, it's an hour away, but you can't smell the salt of the air. You can't see the ocean from any view. Like, what if a family, I have, again, no backing for this, but what if a family came, like, to Riverside an hour away, and they're like, okay, there's nothing beyond this. This is good enough. What a different kind of life. What a different kind of experience. Now, there's power when you trust the one who can see the other side, even when you can't. See, this is what faith is all about. Faith is all about trusting in the one who can see the other side, even when you cannot. See, think about it for a moment. All of us have experienced at one point in our lives, uh, even if, it's, if, if you're young, even something in your life that was the greatest point of trouble, greatest point of pain, greatest point of embarrassment, trial in your life, a circumstance in your life, that, that was your greatest. That was like the number one. If you, if you can even think of that experience in your life, can you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I can remember that moment in my life. Yeah, I can remember that moment. Yeah. Look around the room. You're all here. You're all here. Isn't that amazing? You made it. You didn't give up. You didn't throw in the towel. What does that mean? That means God was faithful to you back then. That means God was faithful. That means God showed up. That means God. And now as you look back, you can now see what's on the other side. Now, this is, this is especially true for our relationships. So just some, some, dating, some dating advice, all right? Um, yeah, I, can, I can remember dating a girl, you know, before Taryn. And I dated some amazing girls. God bless them before Taryn. Amazing. My parents loved them. No, not at all. But I thought one was like the one, and I was giving everything into this. And, you know, I convinced myself she was. She was the kind of girl that I was so into. And everyone else is like, what are you doing? And I'm like, she's amazing. Um, love is blind. And so I was in this 
I was like walking blind for a year. Sometimes love is blind for a long time. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm there for a year. And then, of course, after a year, the same thing happens as it happened over and over again in my life. It blew up in my face. And in that moment, I was like, my life's done. I'm going to be single forever. Forever. I'm going to be single forever. There's no hope. There's no one after this. There's no possibility that God has anything in store for me. And I can remember that moment of huge heartache, huge pain, where I, I, I just said, God, I don't know if I can stay with you, man. I don't know. It's crazy, guys, when I think, now that's like four years ago, looking back, that God had Taryn, my wife, in store for me. I had no idea. I had no picture of it. I had, like, I'm batting way above my average. Like, it's crazy. It's insane. And if I would have seen that on the other side, I would have trusted God. I would have trusted the teacher. I would have trusted his process. It's amazing when we think about God's perspective. If we could see what God could see right now, how would, you, how would you go through whatever you're going through? If we could see what God could see in his eyes, how would you go through what you're going through? Here's the thing. James was legit. James was real. James lived this stuff. It's, history tells us that James was taken to the top of the temple and thrown off. They tried to kill him. And, and as he landed, he actually didn't die. His, bodies were, his body was broken all over the place, but he wasn't dead, and so they stoned and clubbed him to death. And I think in that moment, He's transitioning from earthly life to eternal life. And I think in that moment, I was just like weeping about it the, like the other day. Not, not, not sad. He experienced the other side, the joy, the life. That one day will be ours. He experienced an eternal, everlasting, ongoing, forever satisfaction in that moment that he's experiencing right now that he wants to tell you about. And he says, whatever thing you're going through, it's light and it's momentary and it's temporary and you can stay with it. Because there's something beautiful. There's something amazing. There's something forever on the other side. Can I hear an amen? Are you ready for that? Man, I want that. I want that. So I'm my dad's son. I cry. I just get like so excited about heaven, man. Get so excited. And here's the thing. I leave you guys with this. We get to experience a glimpse of that right now. Heaven isn't just for someday. It's for today. And we get an opportunity to experience the eternal life and the joy and the satisfaction and the fulfillment of experiencing the, the fullness of heaven in our spirit. We have the spirit of the alive, risen Jesus in us. Whoa. And so you can go through anything. Truly can. You truly can. And we're all going to have a perspective. I've even, I even believe a year from now, if I ask the very same question, and some of you guys go, might go through some of the biggest heartache and pain and financial difficulty and physical issues, I, even if that happens, a year from today, five years from today, you're going to be able to raise your hand and say, God was faithful. God was good. God has taken me through it. So I just want to encourage you today. I mean, church isn't about breaking you down. It's about building you up. And I want to encourage you guys today. If, if, if you're tempted to give up in that one area in your life, if 
you're tempted to take that shortcut, if you're tempted to bail, if you're tempted to bounce, if you're tempted, I want to encourage you today to begin to trust the teacher who can see the other side. And as you stay with him, know this. He's not only going to bring wholeness and beauty and life and joy in you, he's going to work that through you. He's going to work it through you. And lives are going to be changed. Stories are going to be told about the character and the perseverance that he has worked in and through you to rock and shake up the world around you. Amen? Love you guys. I want to pray. I just want to pray over you. I just want to make an invitation, a simple invitation on a morning such as this. I, I'm not sure who came in this morning. I'm not sure what you're going through. I'm not sure where you're at spiritually and relationally with Jesus. I don't want to make any assumptions. Um, but I do believe this. I believe everyone that's come in is not here coincidentally or accidentally. I believe that you're here on purpose. I believe that you're here for a reason. I believe that you walk through these doors because God knew you would. In the scriptures, it says that Jesus endured the cross on your behalf. And it says, for the joy set before him, he did it. See, Jesus saw what was on the other side. That's why he did it. That's why he hung on that cross for six hours. That's why he took the sin of the world on himself, past, present, future. He did it for you. When Jesus was on the cross, what did he see on the other side? He saw you. He saw you personally. He saw the brokenness that he didn't want you to go through. And he sees the healing and the hope and the restoration that he has for you. And so if you're here and you'd say, John, I've never said yes to Jesus before. I've never given my life to him. I've never experienced this joy and this life and this freedom that you're talking about. If that's you this morning, I don't want to make any assumptions. I just want to ask you to respond to what God may do, be doing on the inside. Just responding to him. I believe that there's, there's something about responding outwardly on the outside to what God's doing on the inside that just simply makes it stick. And so in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. And on the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I want that joy. I want that life. I want Jesus. And so one, I want you to know how much Jesus loved you. And two, I want you to know that he did it for you. He saw you on the other side. And three, if that's you, I want you just to lift your hand. Say, that's me. Thank you. That's me. Thank you. Thank you. Keep, keep that hand raised if you may, because I specifically just want to pray over you. Thank you. God, you're so good. You're so faithful. You're so true. You will never leave us. I pray for those that have raised their hand that you would give them the faith and the confidence to stay with you in the midst of anything that they go through. God, it says that you will never leave us. You'll never abandon us. You'll never fail us. And God, I pray that you would surround them with your Holy Spirit's presence right now. You would wrap your arms of love around them, that they would know that they are seen, that they are cared for, that they are loved, that they have a purpose. God, I pray that you would surround them with friends and family members that would pull them closer to you and not further away. 
God, thank you for new life. It says all of heaven rejoices when one soul says yes to your gospel, your good news. And so we thank you so much for your life and this beautiful adventure that we get to enjoy with you. Thank you, Lord. And everyone said...